0: Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called on to him and said, What is this I hear of you? Turn the account of your mani- your management over, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I am removed from my management, people will may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. Take your bill, and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill, and write eighty. The master com- com- commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of, h- of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, Make friends of yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is, so, is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give you which that is your heart?
1: Good job. If you have a bulletin, there is an outline uh, with some blanks to fill in if you want to uh, try that this morning. Help keep you awake. A a few weeks ago, uh, I could not find my wedding band, which is unusual because I really don't take it off that much. I typically wear it no matter what I'm doing. But a couple of days earlier, I had gone in uh, for a routine colonoscopy. And, you know, they recommend that someone be responsible for your valuables. And Kim asked me at the time, you want me to, you want to take your ring off? I thought, no, you know, it doesn't slip off my finger that easily. So I'll, I'll just keep it on. But when I couldn't find it, I got, I had this passing thought. I wonder if the nurse slipped it off my finger while I was under sedation. Uh, and But, you know, I... I quickly dismissed that thought, but but when I couldn't find it, I, you know, I was concerned because um, I, I usually, there's only a couple places where I usually put it down when I take it off. So I was kind of puzzled about it. So I started to rationalize to myself that, hey, it's just a piece of metal and it's just a symbol. It doesn't mean I'm not married. Therefore, it's no big deal if I don't have it anymore. But then I, I had to confess to Kim that I couldn't find it. And I could tell by her reaction that to her it was not just a piece of metal. And it really isn't to me either, uh, but I was trying to make myself feel better at the, at the possibility of not having it anymore. And like a few minutes after I confessed, she found it uh, for me. So, so I do still have it. There are a lot of physical objects in life that have spiritual or sentimental value attached to them because it's often related to some kind of a meaningful event kind of like you know like marriage and the spiritual or sentimental value is often much greater than the physical value you know we're instructed in in the word of god not to place too much emphasis on physical things and instead to focus more on the spiritual. And one of my favorite verses that kind of reminds me of that is in 2 Corinthians 4.18 when Paul was, you know, writing about the troubles that we experience in this life. He was trying to encourage the Corinthians. And he wrote that we're not to focus on the things that are seen, but we're to focus on the things that are unseen. In other other words, because the things that are seen are, are physical and they're temporary. And the things that are unseen... Are spiritual and eternal. There's one caveat, however. The physical has a significant influence on the spiritual. Last year we studied the parables. One of the parables we studied was the parable of the unjust steward, as as you heard Connor read just a few moments ago in Luke sixteen. And the parable is about a manager or steward who was mishandling his master's wealth. And when the master found out about it, he told the steward that he could no longer serve as his manager and he needed to turn in all of his accounts. And so the steward, of course, kind of panicked and went to the account holders and and came up with a plan to settle the accounts by significantly decreasing the amounts each debtor or account owner owed so that they would be favorably disposed toward him and would hopefully provide him with a home and a job. And the point that Jesus made in the parable was how the people of the world are much more shrewd in dealing with their own people than are the people of God when it comes to, in this case, wealth. Or as Jesus described it, unrighteous wealth. (coughs) Unrighteous wealth. That's an interesting description of wealth. Because I've heard teachers say, and I've actually said it myself in this auditorium, that money has no morality. You know, it is neither moral nor immoral, and yet Jesus described wealth as unrighteous or immoral. And I believe part of the reason for that is probably related to Paul's warning about money in 1 Timothy 6.10, having written that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And it's easy to see that in our world today. Richard Foster, in, in a book titled Money, Sex, and Power, wrote, We cannot safely use mammon, which is the Greek word for wealth, until we are absolutely clear that we are dealing not just with mammon, but with unrighteous mammon. In other words, wealth is related to morality. You know, we we tend to believe that having wealth is the key to a better life, while Jesus says that giving wealth is the key to a better life. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 9, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And that's a clue in regard to the relationship between the physical and the spiritual. Your faithfulness in managing wealth impacts your spiritual destiny. Jesus then went on to explain in Luke 16 what he meant in verses 10 through 13. And in his explanation, he asked two great questions. Verse 11 is the first question. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? True riches just represent that which has lasting value, which is spiritual or or heavenly wealth. The second question immediately follows the first in verse 12. And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And and the first question makes a point about faithfulness in regard to physical wealth, or as Jesus described it, unrighteous wealth. The second question makes a couple of points, and one of them is the physical wealth that you possess isn't really yours. When David was collecting money and materials to build the temple, he said to God, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. In other words, the only reason we can give to you, Lord, is because you've given to us. We're just giving back to you what's yours. So the physical treasures of this world actually belong to God. I think most of us understand that. And they're going to have a significant impact on our spiritual destiny because it is a test of your faithfulness. Now you may be thinking, well, now wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. You know, we're we're forgiven of all of our sins when we put our faith in Jesus and, and we're saved by grace. But Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith. In a book by uh, Dallas Willard titled, The Divine Conspiracy, Discovering Our Hidden Life in God, he takes exception to Christians who use the off-quoted phrase, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. He explains that Christians certainly are forgiven, and your forgiveness does not depend on your being perfect. But what that phrase conveys you know, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven is that forgiveness is what Christianity is all about, which can lead one to believe that you can have faith in Christ that brings forgiveness. While in every other aspect of your life, you're no different than others who have no faith at all. Willard wrote, are we to suppose that God gives us nothing that really influences character or spirituality? Are we to suppose that in fact Jesus has no substantial impact on our real lives? I mean, if that's true, if that's true, why, why, why do we need a Bible made up of 66 books? I mean, why not just write one book with maybe 10 chapters explaining how the world began and who Jesus is and what we need to do to be saved and then just skip the rest? As long as you know you're forgiven and will be saved, what difference does it make how you live? Which is what that phrase makes it sound like. What difference does it make how you handle wealth? The Bible has 66 books for a reason. And one of those reasons is so that we, among other things, might learn how to be like God. You know, I I fear that many Christians have the attitude that it doesn't really matter what I do, not because now I'm just forgiven. You know, we really ought to be baptizing more people than we are. You know, I, I know that not everyone has the gift of evangelism. But, but, you know, you don't really need the gift of... You don't have to be an evangelist to be able to lead someone to Christ. You just need to be a friend who cares. Many of you are meeting together for Bible study every week on Sunday mornings. We just met this morning. And more of you need to do that. But what's the purpose of Bible study? You know, I, I believe it's to help you understand God's will so that you can become more like God. And, and as you become more like God, you care more about the lost. Because, you see, He cares about the lost. I mean, it's the whole reason He sent Jesus. We've been given a mission to save souls. We can become the greatest scholars of the Bible in the history of the world, but if it does not contribute to the mission, we're missing the point. The difference is that you are saved by grace through faith. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. James 2.14 reads, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question with the obvious answer of no. Faith cannot save you without works. If there's no real change in your life as a result of Jesus, do you really have faith? Applying these concepts to the two questions Jesus asked in in Luke 16, if if you've not been faithful in the handling of worldly wealth, who's going to entrust to you the true riches? True riches are are treasures in heaven. They're related to those spiritual blessings and favors associated with God and his will. It it represents holiness, righteousness, love, generosity, mercy, grace, and, and so much more. God wants you and me to use the wealthy loans to you to not only provide for yourself and and your family, but also to bless the lives of others, Or, or in other words, for good works, so that you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, into heaven. In a, uh, in a book I have on my bookshelf titled The Best of Bits and Pieces, someone wrote, if you've saved a lot of money in your life, you may be rich. If you've saved a lot of headaches for others, there's no question, you're rich. If you're faithful with unrighteous wealth, he will have no reservations about trusting you with more righteous, unrighteous wealth. And more importantly, with heavenly riches. And that's the example of the parable of the talents in in, in Matthew 25. So here's my point. If you're unfaithful with the resources God entrusts to you, the unrighteous wealth, then you're unfaithful. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. And whoever is dishonest with a little is dishonest with a lot. So this morning I encourage you to think about your answer to the two questions that Jesus asked. How you handle the physical things of this world is God's way of testing your faithfulness. That's why wealth matters in this world. Not just not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. You are saved by grace through faith, and faith is demonstrated by your works or what you do. Please don't misunderstand. You can't buy or or spend your way into heaven. I'm not trying to convey that. Unrighteous wealth is one of the tools God uses to test just how faithful you are to him. How you manage unrighteous wealth is a window into who you are and where your heart truly is. Every one of you is a, is a steward of God's wealth. And obviously your responsibility is to manage it in such a way that you help others and prove to be faithful. As Jesus said in Matthew six 19, 20, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your heart? What do you treasure the most in this world? How faithful are you in the wealth the unrighteous wealth that God has entrusted to you. Today's the first day of the week, and to use a worn-out phrase, it's the first day of the rest of your life. It's our tradition at this time each week to give you an opportunity to change your life forever by committing your life to Jesus or recommitting your life to Jesus seeking him, seeking forgiveness from him. So as this song is is sung, as Robin leads us in this song, it's an opportunity for you to respond. It's an opportunity for you to change the trajectory of your life and to start living for him and serving him and being faithful in all that he has given you. So we encourage you right now as we stand and sing this song to respond. Thank you.